Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Yep, waking you up on this Tuesday morning. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen Mornings Without Carmen this week here on Faith Radio. Oh, I had a good night's sleep last night. Uh, My sleep Sunday night, Monday morning was not as good. A lot of weird dreams. Hopefully you didn't have one of those nights. Did you have one where you had a hard time sleeping? Maybe it was because your mind was going over and over and over. Uh, Some of the hardships you're going through. Was it because of something somebody did to you and you're just you just can't get rid of the anger you just you're holding that grudge and it's yeah it affects your sleep at night and you're also caught in this feedback loop of self-pity in the midst of that hey i want to tell you a story on this tuesday morning or a portion of one from the chronicles of narnia yep i love that one and uh, that series and have you ever read the horse and his boy If you've not, okay, let me give you the background here. It's the story about a boy named Shasta, his early, his difficult early life, and then his adventures with a talking horse from Narnia named Bree. And then also there's a young lady involved, Avaris is her name, and her talking horse from Narnia, Wynn, and how they saved Narnia from invasion from the nation of Tashban. Now, to be honest... Shasta bore the brunt of much of the troubles in that story. At one point of the story, he had to travel alone at night. He was, as he was doing that, he was going over and over in his mind all his woes, those he was angry with, and, okay, a lot of self-pity, too, when he felt a presence next to him in the dark. And the presence said, Tell me your sorrows. Shasta, well, told him that he had never known his real father or mother and that he had been brought up sternly by a fisherman. And then he told the story of his escape and how they were chased by lions and forced to swim for their lives. And of all the dangers they experienced in Tashban, about his night among the tombs, about the beast howling, howling at him from the desert. And he told about the heat and the thirst of their desert journey and how they had almost reached their goal when another lion chased them and wounded Avaris. And how very long it had been since he had anything to eat. I don't call you unfortunate, said the large voice. You don't think it was bad luck to meet so many lions, said Shasta? There was only one lion. What on earth do you mean? I just told you there were at least two lions the first night, and there was only one. But he was swift of foot. How do you know? I was the lion. And as Shasta gaped with open mouth and saying nothing, the voice continued, I was the lion who forced you to join Avaris. I was the cat who comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you as you slept. 
I was the lion who gave the horses the new strength of fear for the last mile so that you should reach King Lewin in time. And I was the lion you do not remember who pushed the boat in which you lay, a child near death, so that it came to shore where a man sat wakeful at midnight to receive you. Then it was you who wounded Avaris. It was I. Oh, what for? Child, said the voice. I'm telling you your story, not hers. I tell no one any story but his own. Who are you? asked Shasta. Myself, said the voice, very deep and low so that the earth shook. And again, myself, loud and clear. And then a third time, myself, whispering so softly you could just hear, but it seemed to be coming from all around you as if the leaves were rustling with it. Shasta was no longer afraid that the voice belonged to something that would eat him or that it was the voice of a ghost, but a new and different sort of trembling came over him. Yet it felt he felt glad, too. So what grudges are you bearing today, anger you have toward others, or maybe even toward God himself? Our Growing Your Faith verse today, Leviticus 19.18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, this month, our verses have talked a lot about love. And it's easy to let grudges build up and desires for revenge to overcome you, really to poison you and weaken you, destroying your ability to love rightly, as God calls you to do, and yes, as God does himself. We can fixate on offenses and on those who offend us. But that blinds us to what God is doing. Now, as you heard Aslan retell Shasta's story, He added a lot of key missing details and putting those supposed woes, those offenses, in the right perspective. And God is hoping you do this and more with our verse today. Yes, he calls you not to seek revenge. Yes, he calls you not to bear a grudge. But why? Because just as Aslan proclaimed himself the active agent in Shasta's story, God does the same and even more. Note those last four words of the verse today. I am the Lord. As much as we want to and do say to God, but don't you see what that person did to me? Doesn't it matter to you? The thing is, he did see. Yes, it does matter more than you know. But he's also working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Again, the reality is there's a lot we don't know. But God does. And there's a lot that God is doing that you don't know. I remember a John Piper uh, quote, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. And you may be aware of three of them. There's a lot you don't know. But the call from God is the same, to be like him, to be the lover, to love your neighbor as yourself. Let God handle the story from there and rest yours in his. Well, again, this is Mornings with Carmen as we help you apply the mind of Christ to the matters of the day. And among the things happening today, 
In Michigan, is their, their primary, their, uh, both Republican and Democratic primaries. On the Republican side, former President Trump is likely to win, as he did in South Carolina and all the previous states, and even in Nikki Haley's home state, yeah, South Carolina. Still, she insists on continuing. <laughs> now, why do some people continue even in the face of likely failure? What is it? Actually, there's something in there that I think we need to understand, and I hope Nick Pitts from the uh, Institute for Global Engagement will help us contemplate that in just a few moments. Again, thanks for listening this Tuesday morning. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen here on Faith Radio. It's Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Paul filling in on Faith Radio. And to me, one of the more interesting people of the last century was Winston Churchill. He's remembered for his brave leadership of Great Britain during World War II as prime minister. But, you know, not too many years before the war, he was considered a failed politician, a wash-up, uh, a has-been. His own party really didn't want him. But he kept trying. Why does anybody keep trying in the face of, well... Difficulties or insurmountable odds? Nick, I'm hoping you can help us do that as well as celebrate the fact that uh, baseball season, the, the, um, you know, the uh, preseason and all that, uh, training camp is underway. Well, you know, uh, Paul, so great to be with you this morning from Dallas, Texas, which just happens to be home of the Texas Rangers the World happens. Series champions uh-huh. uh, last year. And we are hoping to exercise that same grit that Winston Churchill did back uh, early, uh, decades ago, as well as what Nikki Haley is doing as she makes her way through this presidential campaign of 2024. Yeah, let's talk about that because Nikki, okay, she hasn't won a primary yet. She continues on. She actually lost backing from uh, the Americans with Prosperity Action, which is a, uh, you know, uh, Charles uh, Cook's, that's Cook, right? I keep forgetting oh, yeah, how yeah, they Coke. Coke, yeah, the, Coke Coke, the Coke brothers. Well, I mean, they were helping him are helping Haley out, but they're saying, no, we're going to refocus our spending efforts on state and Senate races. And so they're moving on. But Haley says she's continuing. Now, there's something we really think we need to learn from Haley's example, though. Yeah, the, you know, there's a, there's a wide variety of theories as to why she's continuing to run, right? What some are pointing to the fact that perhaps she's continuing to run should something happen. She will be positioned well uh, and have won a number of delegates. Others are positing that she's running just for the sake of history to show that there was a contingent similar to Goldwater, similar to Nixon in the past uh, GOP primaries that have indicated that they're uh, dissenting from the majority opinion. But I think regardless of whatever the whatever theory that you want to posit that as to why she's running, what she continues to remind all of us, Republicans and Democrats, is the value of grit. Um, I, Angela Duckworth has the seminal work on grit as a play. I love that book. Actually, she, my wife loves that book. I hope to read it, it sometime, but I've heard her story and some interviews around it. And anyway, it, I, I interrupt and continue. A, Oh, no, no. It's it's an incredible book because we all know individuals that have talent, right? We all, But there's a distinction and a difference between someone that has talent and someone that actually has accomplishments, right? Uh, we, we even know this for those who have ears to hear in the parable of the talents with Jesus, that he's given some one talent, some two talents, some five talents. And he calls us to invest those talents uh, uh, in such a way that we might be able to multiply and do well uh, to be the good and faithful steward that deploys those talents for the glory of his name and for the good of this world. 
And what, what I love about what uh, uh, Duckworth does and Brit and what we're seeing exemplified in the Haley campaign is it's this understanding uh, that you're tying this work ethic and this endurance for a larger purpose. And she uses this parable of the bricklayers that mm. I think is just so poignant for our purposes. And she says that there's the three bricklayers and they're asked, what are you doing? And the first says, I'm laying bricks. The second says, I'm building a church. And the third says, I'm building the house of God. And so the first bricklayer that's just laying bricks has a job. The second that says that I'm building a church has a career. But the third that says I'm building the house of God has a calling. And I'm not sure as to the motivations and rationale, because the heart is mysterious and no one knows why Nikki Haley is continuing to run. But here's what I do know, that we all have to exercise some form of grit, whether that's in our jobs at home or away from the house, whether that's with our relationships that we have, whether that's with the families that we have been um, we have been placed and put position within from the Lord God Almighty. And grit is required for each and every one of them, as as um, the, the good Dr. Luke would say, for us to be able to grasp the richness of life. For you, I mean, I mentioned uh, Winston Churchill before, a guy who had a lot of grit. Who are some of the people that have inspired you, I think, especially those you think do it with a, and you use the phrase godly grit in your, your post at the, at, uh, the, at the, um, uh, <laughs> the briefing. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I mean, if you just look at from a, a Republican, uh, just look at the Re- Republican par- uh, Party for the past, uh, we'll go back, let's go back 60 years. Right. You had there was a Goldwater faction that the famous Goldwater speech in 1960, where he was like, grow up, Republicans. He had exercised grit and said, now is my time. And then there was the there was the faction with uh, Nixon that says it was his time. And then you go to Romney, then you go to McCain. There's always been factions that have exercised grit. And he within grit isn't experiencing success after hard work. It's experiencing it's enduring through failure and continuing the hard work. That's the key component, I think, to grit. It's not guarantee of success. It's perseverance to move through failure. And as I look through my own life, I just look at, uh, I'm always keenly mindful of the fact that if you've never failed, I, I just have to ask, what have you tried? Right? Uh, <laughs> Good point. Like, I, I, uh, I am, I am, you only get one shot at this life. And I think God is like the, this incredible uh, Easter egg bunny giver that has littered this world full of these Easter eggs for us to taste of his kindness and his his goodness. And I want to try as hard as I can each and every day to be able to work hard and work diligently, as Paul told the church at Colossae, work diligently for the glory of his name so that I'm going to experience the joy of my soul through being a good servant uh, in this world that he's placed me in. Mm. I also think despite about, failure. yeah, despite failure, and I, I go back and look at uh, guys like, well, okay, looking at the Bible, the Apostle Paul, I mean, he had so many setbacks, uh, so many persecutions, beatings, you name it, and yet he just persevered, he kept going, he kept going, because, as you mentioned, used the phrase earlier, he had a calling. Mm-hmm. He had a calling. Oh, he, yeah, he had a calling to 
to build a, <laughs> to build the house of God. Really, he was trying to help build the temple of of God by building up the church. Well, again, we're talking with Nick Picts uh, with the uh, Institute for Global Engagement. And when we get home, hey, what is the heart of, when we get back, what is the heart of your home? We're going to look at that in just a few moments here on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. This is your birthday song. It isn't very long. Hey! Faith Radio is celebrating 75 years of bringing faith to life. That's right. We are 75 this year. So to celebrate, we are giving away 75 Faith Radio birthday boxes packed with all kinds of fun things to help you grow in your walk of faith and, yes, celebrate with us. So we're going to be celebrating the birth and growth and future of Faith Radio all year long, and you are an integral part of the Faith Radio family, and so we want to send you a gift. How fun is that? This is our birthday song. It isn't very long. So to enter to win a Faith Radio birthday box today, come to MyFaithRadio.com. So what's the most important room in your house? I'm Paul filling in for Carmen here on Faith Radio. Nick Pitts from the Institute for Global Engagement. My guest, he also blogs at uh, thebriefing.net. Is that right, Nick? Yes, sir. Briefing.net. I love how you look at the news headlines and then you have a nice way of pivoting and help us think about the bigger issues of life. And one of those is about our time at home. And, okay, there was a recent survey and it was, okay, it was a survey by an appliance company, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh, just... but what did they find? Yeah, fa- fascinating research that they're finding that we're spending increasingly uh, a significant amount of time in the kitchen. So the average American is going to spend a thousand hours a year in the kitchen. And for uh, those of us that are, are, are more inclined toward little Debbie's, we might spend a little bit more time than that in the kitchen. But <laughs> nevertheless, uh, we're finding that one in nine actually consider uh, the kitchen to be the heart of the home. And I'm always mindful of a sermon series I heard a a few years back that you you have certain people in your lives that you welcome to the foyer, but they never get to the living room. Mm -hmm. And then you've got other people in your lives that you welcome to the living room that would never get to the kitchen. And then you've got those kitchen people. And those are the type of people where it's uh, you're not you're not entertaining them um, and just wanting them to see the fruit of your work. You're wanting them to join your work Mm -hmm. in that you're doing. Um, and so I always think I always am mindful of that when I hear about the kitchen and the value and the heart and the warmth that, that comes from the kitchen. But interestingly enough, what we're seeing is that fewer and fewer Americans are are continuing to not only eat at home, but also they're they're just they're they're spending more time away from the kitchen. And so even though there's been this uptick over the previous year of meals at the house, six point two to six point eight meals per week, uh, the average American is making at home. The quote unquote food away from home is accounting for more of our household spending from 53.2% this past year. And that's up from 43% in 1997. So approximately 25 year, 26 years ago. So we're, but what's fascinating is there's this great little book by Alice Waters that I'm just Alice Waters and um, and there's another individual, uh, Rick Bragg, who is a, a Southern writer, have captivated my thinking on the sacredness that comes with eating. And Waters writes that we spend more time dieting than we do spend cooking. And, and she writes that there's this there's this richness that comes 
with breaking bread and sharing a meal with uh, one another, that our humanity is on full display and it's contingent on our hospitality. And as Christians, we, we, we're keenly aware of that, right? We believe that the kitchen can be a sacred space because the kitchen, because the meal is where God chose to offer us comfort. The meal is where God chose to break the bread, which in turn reminded us of how his body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us so that we might experience the fullness of life that he died to give us. I love the progression you had there. You know, some people make it into the foyer. Some people make it to the living room. I think you took a sidestep because, okay, some people do make it to the dining room, but there's something mm-hmm. sacred about the kitchen because, okay, kitchens can be messy. So They can be. <laughs> they can be. So, because when you're making a nice meal, yeah, stuff happens. Um, but that said, to that, that's a very intimate place in, for a lot of people. As the resident dishwasher extraordinaire of our home, I can tell you that the kitchen can definitely be messy. And some nights it's messier than others. I think uh, when we had, uh, I've, I've, uh, I've discovered that I think the rest of my life is going to be washing bottles. And I can give up on the idea of having a, a clean kitchen with an 11-month-old uh, oh, yeah. that's in the house. It's, it's but, a uh, it's only going to get worse with more kids. I'll keep the heads up. But the, there is light at the end of the tunnel. They do grow up, unfortunately, because, you know, messy dishes oh, yeah. means it means a full house. So, Oh, that's the truth. That is that's the, the truth. truth. Okay. Somebody did, uh, Rob, uh, or rather Bob, one of our listeners, said uh, refrigerator rights. And I was kind of going in the same thing. You know, you're talking about how people spend, what is it, a thousand hours per year in the kitchen. Uh, how much of the time is having, standing with the refrigerator door opening, just looking? Oh, my goodness. That is the dang truth. <laughs> I'm just magically hoping some some snack or maybe some leftover that I have, uh, that I've missed will just randomly appear so that I wouldn't have to cook. Yeah. Uh, that is, that is the truth. <laughs> okay. Let's stay on the food theme real quickly. Again, we're talking with, uh, with Nick Pitts from the Institute for Global Engagement and his thebriefing.net. And on Friday, you talked about something called popcorn brain. And just that phrase, I'm kind of going, Oh, you're talking to me, man. You're talking to me. What is <laughs> you're talking about me? Anyway, what is popcorn brain? Yeah. So what we're seeing uh, this I, this this term was corn uh, coined uh, corn yeah uh, coined in 2011 by a uh, University of Washington researcher, and it talks about this uh, how our uh, it's to combat the phenomenon that our, essentially our lives are becoming more digital, and in turn we're just uh, our attention span is is shrinking to a certain degree. What's fascinating about this is there's this great book. I always love this. I love the imagery of whether it's popcorn brain or in this instance, um, you're, you're, uh, you're an individual that's riding on a jet ski. Uh, Nicholas Carr's got a great book called The Shallows. And he talks about what social media and what this digital landscape is doing to us in that we used to be individuals that we would dive deeply. We were scuba divers that Mm -hmm. would just delve deeply, whether it was a book that we were reading, whether, and even today, whether it was a long movie that we would watch, just a movie we would watch. But now you, 90% of Americans, when they're watching a movie are on their phone. Um, And so no longer are we scuba divers, but now we are individuals that are like riding a jet ski upon the waves. Mm -hmm. We're not really diving deeply anymore. And it's causing us just to, we can't even read through an article online, just a small article online without opening up another tab to some thought that we had related to what we were reading. 
and, and, and it's just talking about the shrinking of concentration and how important it is for Christians, especially for us to take not only take captive every thought, but also to to be mindful of where we're giving our attention to, because the greatest asset that we have is the time that we give. Mm. Okay, I this is a kind of tangential, but it's not. It has to do with music in this regard. Have you noticed, Nick, how a lot of the modern pop songs are so short? I mean, when when Billy Joel released that his uh, latest song a few weeks ago, I loved it, but I also noticed it's like barely three minutes long. And I'm kind of going, hey, wait, where's Piano Man, which is all, you know, five minutes long. There's a lot of songs. If you go back to the songs I grew up on, most of them were four or five minutes long. And nowadays, they're just two and a half, three minutes. And it's like, oh, yeah. Then again, this TikTok world. Yeah, it's a a TikTok world, world. And even beyond that, I mean, now I get kind of when I'm in church worship and the worship leader wants to go a longer version of a worship song. And I'm so used to the <clears throat> radio edit, they call it here, because a lot of it, <laughs> you listen to the same song on a radio, it's usually shorter. And, and it, oh, yeah. it's, it's like, can we move on? I, I mean, I get impatient at church. It's like popcorn brain. I need to move on to something else. It's terrible. Yeah, I, I am just, I'm always mindful. I'm wanting to, to make sure that if you're not aware of the influences that are, that are shaping you, that you are in turn doing a disservice to your soul because you are being influenced. The question is, what are you being influenced by? And whether it's the music that we have that's less than three minutes now because it has to fit onto a TikTok, uh, a TikTok uh, post, or whether it's even, or even just what you're reading on, uh, online or within a book. I'm just always wanting to be mindful of the subtle ways in which the uh, the culture and the world around us is shaping us. And in turn, not only to be mindful of it, but then to ask the question, is this, is this a good thing for my soul? How, how is it, how is this a blessing God and how am I being a blessing to the world through this? Mm. And so that goes into our devotional life. I mean, maybe that's one of the things we need to push ourselves when we're spending time reading God's word and meditating upon it. It's like, okay, put everything else aside. And spend extra time. If you're only doing five minutes, push it to six minutes. Push it longer to help her. Oh yeah, I I am. I've always been mindful. uh, You know, there's. I'm always concerned about the quality of my time with God, and I'm I'm mindful. I always vividly remember when uh, Jacob wrestled with God, right? And he wrestled with God, and he would not let him go until God blessed him. And then, in turn, when God blessed him, he changed him. He changed his name. They changed his name to Israel. And then in turn, when he walked away, he walked away with a limp. Mm. And I'm always, I'm always, whenever I think about my time with God, I always want to walk away blessed and walking differently because I'm encountering the living God. Even if it's a limp. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a lot. <laughs> well, again, uh, Nick, thank you for joining us. Uh, you can find, again, Nick Pitts and his uh, ruminations over some of the headline news and more. Just go to thebriefing.net. And again, thank you, Nick, for joining us here on Faith Radio. Great to be with you, Paul. All right. This is Mornings with Carmen. And okay, it's a Tuesday. And as Carmen likes to talk about Taste and See Tuesday. And okay, are you a honey crisp apple person? I love Honeycrisp. Now, these are some of the, that is one of the many varieties that have come out of the University of Minnesota. They got some good ones, Sweet Tango and some others. Well, you know, for a long time, Honeycrisps were pretty expensive, but you may have noticed the price is falling and there's a reason for that. 
You know, when the apple first came out because of its popularity, a lot of orchards started planting a bunch of trees. But it takes a while for the trees to be peak productive. We're reaching peak productivity for all those trees planted almost two decades later. So now the prices are falling. So, yeah. Oh, somebody else said another good apple is the the Envy, is it? Yeah, that one's pretty good, too. I like Sweet Tango, though. And I'm trying to remember the other one that's really good. It's... um, it's like honey crisp, just a little more tartness to it. Because I, okay, I like a good Harrelson. I grew up on those, which is a really tart tree, uh, apple tree, and uh, they're good. They make great pies. But yeah, but envy, yeah, jazz. Somebody, yeah, Kim says jazz. Love jazz too. Well, coming up in a few moments, Luke Moon is going to join us from the Philos Project, and he helps us keep an eye on what's happening around the world and help us bring. Uh, the mind of Christ to bear, and there's a lot happening, including yesterday some major announcements with the Palestinian Authority, and we'll hopefully be talking with Luke about that shortly as we help you connect faith to life here on Faith Radio. All right, more comments coming in on the text line, which is 877-933-2484. When it comes to apples, uh, let's see, somebody said Pink Lady. A couple of people talked about Pink Lady apples, which I don't believe I've had, so I'm going to have to try that. And then Mary says, hey, Spartan, Macintosh, Granny Smith, Jonathan's, Golden Delicious, some of her favorite for cooking. I tell you, Mary... If you haven't used a Harrelson and mix that with like a like the Honeycrisp and a few others in a pie, mixing the apples, oh, you're missing it. You're missing it. <laughs> anyway, joining us now, Luke Moon from the Philos Project, and also he writes at Times in Providence Magazine. Uh, Luke, do you got a favorite apple? Oh, um, well, I say a Honeycrisp is probably yes. where I'm at right now. Yeah, you said that. I was the Pink Lady's probably a, a you know shape. Behind, but uh, yeah, but I, I dare you if, if I got good apples here in, in New York, yes. So. Well, that's I was just talking before a little while before about um, the apples and Honeycrisp in particular, and the price has been coming down very nicely thanks to finally there's enough orchards producing it, so the price went down. So, this is and there's plenty of orchards in New York growing Honeycrisp, so there are, so there are. you're in good it's, stead. It's great. There's a whole like uh, you know, they. In, in the fall, uh, everybody around here goes out and, and uh, does some apple picking, you know, and has mm-hmm. the uh, cider donuts. Yes. And, and uh, so good. Yeah. Well, anyway, Luke, let's get back to more serious conversations. Not that apples aren't serious. A good apple is very, apple a day keeps the doctor away and all that. But again, you help us keep an eye on things going on in the world and especially the Middle East, which is a, an issue of a lot of prayer. I know when I'm praying, I'm thinking, God, Help your church, even as small as it is in that part of the world, to rise up and and bless the people there. And so, yeah, keeping an eye on on a lot of that. And I'm glad you do that. Now, something happened yesterday, uh, along with some airstrikes Israel did against the Hezbollah forces in Lebanon and taking out a commander there. But yesterday, there was big news regarding the Palestinian Authority, where the prime minister, um, I'm not going to try and pronounce his name. <laughs> he resigned. What's that? Yeah. Staye. Staye. So Muhammad yeah, Staye. Something like that. Yeah. I'm sure I'm butchering it myself. Oh, but okay. that's, that's, you know. But but tell us what's going on there and why it might be of importance. Yeah, well the you know, the Palestinian Authority, the Prime Minister, as you say, uh he, and not just him, but actually the whole government uh resigned yesterday uh in order to form a unity government between the Palestinian Authority and Hamas. Now 
four years. I mean, like probably right, 10 years, there's been attempts to form a unity government. Uh, most of those have been negotiated by, I think the Egyptians tried, the Qataris tried, the Emiratis tried, but all of them failed to form a unity government between Hamas and Palestinian Authority. Uh, now, I mean, because basically in 2006, there was a, it's almost like a civil war within the Palestinian territories, both mm-hmm. in the West Bank and Gaza. And uh, they killed each other, like pretty brutally. I mean, like, you know, they, the, you know, Palestinian authority members were thrown off from buildings in Gaza and Gaza was taken, taken over by Hamas uh, and, and Palestinian authority was kicked out. Now, you know, move all the way up to 2024, Hamas is basically boxed into a small corner in, in, uh, in Gaza, the sea at one end, IDF on two sides, and Egypt, which is not opening any doors on the other. And Hamas is like, uh, okay, maybe we can do this unity government thing. And, uh, and the Palestinian authorities, all right, well, let's make it happen. It really, I'll tell you, the real impetus for it is that uh, the Biden administration wants to uh, wants to reward Hamas with a, by declaring a two state solution, uh, recognizing the Palestinian Authority over the whole area, over Gaza and and the West Bank, and they can't do that if the Palestinians themselves are not united. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, really, the impetus of this has nothing to do with whether or not the Palestinian Authority and Hamas actually will work together or form any kind of actual. Okay. You know, it more has to do with the fact that the Biden administration wants to, wants to set up a Palestinian state uh-huh. um, and, and they can't do it with, with, with the two fighting. So it's, it comes down to that. Um, it, it's, you know, this is, I mean, it's, it is real. It's actually surprising. I was kind of a little surprised by it yesterday, but also what it means is um, if there is, here's the kind of political dilemma if for not only uh, for, for, you know, the, for Israel, but also for the United States, because can uh, the United States participate in talks or negotiate or even speak with a a a government where they are they have terrorists within the government uh because that's hamas is designated by the united states as a terrorist organization and as soon as they go into and form a government and it actually it it's like you know it's it's putting poison into the bread dough right Mm. and makes it wonder like well can anybody eat the dough you know eat the bread um no, well, no, not really. I mean, it becomes, it it moves, it kind of shifts the conversation a little bit, but it it makes it actually perhaps even harder to negotiate uh, some kind of solution. Right. I hadn't read that deeply into it that Hamas was, uh, they're trying to get Hamas to join the Palestinian Authority. And yeah. again, Hamas, which my understanding is when it comes to Israel, they have only one policy and that's annihilation. Yeah, it is. That is. And I mean, here's the thing that also, though, the Palestinian Authority leadership, no, none of them have denounced what happened on October 7th. Mm. 
um, and support for Hamas in the West Bank is over 75 percent. And so it's it's um, yeah, it's the whole situation is not pretty. And it doesn't I this it I, I think it will in in the mind of perhaps the administration, it will make things easier for them. I think in reality, it will make them harder. Mm, no, something tells me it will. Meanwhile, there is talk of a possible truce, uh, or at least a ceasefire of some sort, because right now all the fighting is centered or at least is heading toward that city of Rafah. And yes. that's where there's the remains of Hamas at this point, you could say. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it, it's the kind of situation where, where, you know, I was thinking about this before we talked, you know, it's, it's, there is a, we're, you know, the whole of the whole of the rest of Gaza has been taken by the, by Israel, by the IDF. And it means, and, and they haven't found, you know, the Bolsinwar who's leading Hamas and they haven't found the remaining 131, uh, which means that they are, they are in Rafa. Mm-hmm. Because they haven't found them anywhere else, so Rafa is the place where they're at. Uh, they're going to, and and so the choice is, you know, it's it's a bit like a you know a, a bank hostage situation at yeah. this point. Everybody knows where they're like, all right, this is where they are. They're in this area, and it's not huge. I mean, Rafa. I mean, Gaza itself is not huge, right? Right. So, uh, and and it and they're they're basically surrounded at this. point into a very small area. Um, and it, it just means that, you know, it kind of Israel has a lot of leverage. There's a lot of pressure on Netanyahu and the Netanyahu government to uh, basically uh, make some, like get the hostages out, the ones who are still alive um, in, in a, in a negotiated way as, you know, and, and kind of, you know, it, they've they've done what they need to do, and they can kind of let the bad guys go, and they'll get them later. Mm-hmm. Um, that's you know, that's my sense on the on the moment. Um, I, whether it holds or not, I mean, Hamas broke the last truce and last ceasefire, and the one before that, and the one before that, and the one before that. So, I think Israel is kind of expecting, okay, we can we can do this ceasefire. Get some hostages out, which will make things a lot better for us. We have to worry about, you know, let, worry less about what we're doing because we can just, you know, do what we need to do over there. Uh, and uh, know that Hamas is going to break the ceasefire. So they have every other time. Mm. Yeah. Again, we're talking with Luke Moon from the Philos Project. And when we continue here in a few moments, going to shift our attention. There's a lot we could talk about when it comes to the Middle East. I mean, things blowing up in Yemen as well. Uh, that continues to be a hotbed as part of this overall conflict between Israel and Hamas. So again, keep it in your prayers. And again, pray for, again, especially the believers in Iran and in Israel, throughout the Middle East, for them to somehow rise rise to be an that that good influence within that area i know it's almost like we were talking before about grit with uh, with um nick pitts and they hopefully they have the grit and even in the face of of what's going on to just be the light of the gospel in in that part of the world but we're going to move toward the ukraine and russia here in just a few moments again we're talking with nick pitt, uh, rather with luke moon here on faith radio i'm paul thanks for listening as we consider the life of jesus and the life of the first generation of christians 
reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up. They come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized, and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. Again, remember, you're made in God's image. You're His. If uh, you're looking for something to do, not this, but next weekend, March 8th and 9th, there is the Set Apart Women's Conference coming up at the University of Northwestern. It's not just in person. There's also an online option as well. Crystal Evans-Hurst will be one of the speakers, as will Lisa Harper. Learn more at this special website, setapartconference.com. I'm Paul, continuing and filling in for Carmen, and we're continuing our conversation with Luke Moon and Luke off-air where we were talking. I want to bring this out because, again, I've been asking, I've been praying, God, mobilize your people, and you're saying, oh, they are God is mobilizing them. Yeah, there's, there's, just I, like I said, I, I don't know as of right now how what's going on in Gaza with the Christians there. There were not, there was only nine hundred total um, Christians in Gaza. Uh, they were all in the north. Um, I think they're they're doing fine as far as as far as I know. In the in the rest of the country, the there's been so much of an outpouring of support for Israel um, organizations like the there's I think it's called the fellowship of Israel related ministries. They've raised, I think something in the range of $11 million for to just, you know, help support uh, families who are displaced internally displaced people in, 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 in Israel, people who used to, who are living either within a mile of the border with, within the north of Lebanon, they've all been evacuated and are living in hotels. And then people who are in the, in the south, uh, who lived in the Gaza envelope, uh, they are all kind of also living in hotels. And so there's a lot of organizations, a lot of ministries that are helping take care of them. But there's also this, you know, there was a story somebody sent me yesterday of um, Jews who are, who are wearing the, who have begun to, like, they can't make the, what's, you know, that little there's a little box they put on there. There's a verse that says you shall um, write the law on, right, your, yeah. on your forehead, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's there's this there's a prayer in which you wear uh, a strap around your arm and a box on your forehead, and in the box is the law, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have they can't make them fast enough. <laughs> okay, they're un- you can't buy them anymore. They're sold out around the world. 
um, and they take a long time to make, so it's kind of a pain. But because they're made for, with with uh, with skin, so like leather. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's that, and then I was, you know, pretty on right after the war. I mean, I get a lot of these kind of reports, but one there was a there was a guy, um, uh, who I watched a video of him, and he was, you know, Orthodox Jewish guy, and he's he said. Uh, we trusted in in the IDF to protect us. We trusted in our in our guns. We trusted in in our our technology. We trusted in the Americans and the Europeans, and it, we trusted in everybody. And they all failed us. And all that we're left is to cry out Hashem, which is which is God in Hebrew. Yeah, and which it, it's it's like. You know, it's like it, it reminds me of those all those biblical passages. Yeah. You know, you don't trust in chariots and you know, in, in you know, Lord. don't trust in Egypt, yeah. but trust in me, right? Mm-hmm. And exactly, I, and I and that's what's happening right now in Israel. This is like real awakening to, um, you know, to the, the reading of of the Bible, right? Um, now, you know, they're not necessarily saying Jesus is Messiah, but it it's uh it, you know <laughs> you, well that is the hope that is the hope that they you know? will eventually cry out to Yeshua yeah so. yeah and and I and and that's that's it's but it's amazing to see um you know to to you know in the midst of this moment with such tragedy um that uh, there's certainly this uh, like a real awakening is taking mm. place and yeah. and. Um, yeah, yeah, I can go on, but <laughs> yeah, you could. I want to spend a couple of moments here because you know a couple of minutes because that's pretty much all we have left. Um, <laughs> now, recently, um, uh, Alexei Navalny died in prison in in uh, in Russia, and finally his remains were given to his family after a lot of uh, back and forth. Yeah. One thing that has come out now: Alexei Navalny originally was an atheist, but. And this is even in Providence Magazine. You have it there. I saw other articles talking about his come to faith. Can you yeah. d- describe that for us? Yeah. Uh, you know, Alexei Navalny was basically the prime opposition leader to to Putin. Um, and uh, in recent, uh, you know, as as you know, he, he was he was he died in prison in the gulag. Uh, you know, some were saying he was murdered. Uh a lot of people are saying it's, he was murdered. It's assumed that he was murdered, um, but you know, he, there's been, a, as you say, a bunch of articles talking about uh, some of his public declarations in which he said, you know, he has said, actually leaning into the beatitudes. You mm. know, um, you know, blessed are those who will hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be they will be filled. Um, and you know, and then and then also. Uh, in, in several interviews, he would quote um, also uh, Matthew five: uh, "Blessed are you when people persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you." And you know he he is going to be one of those um, you know the, the 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 men of renown that I think people will speak about. Who you know, unlike. Dr. King or Václav Havel or even Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who all of whom did not die in prison, neither did uh, Mandela. But it's you know there is a there is a power to 
being willing to go back. I mean, he chose to go back to Russia, knowing that right. when he went back, he was kind of like go. Bonhoeffer in some respects. Yeah, like Bonhoeffer, exactly. Um, and he ch- he chose that. He chose this path, um, and it ended up in his death. But you know, it's it it, it becomes a Obi Wan Kenobi. You know, <laughs> I will be become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. <laughs> I mean, it really is. I mean, that's the, that's, that's the, um, you know, there's a verse that comes to mind, unless it's seed falls to earth and dies, it cannot grow back a hundredfold. Right. Right. It it is the, and the fact that, you know, his, he became a man of faith Mm -hmm. means that, you know, we, not only will we, you know, we'll, 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 you know, he get to, uh, we get to see him in glory. But the other we have to wrap it up. <laughs> we have to wrap it up quickly here, Luke. Thing is, is that you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, we got to wrap it up. Basically, you know, he only dies once. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's it. He only one dies once. Yeah. So. True enough. You know, hey, hey, fun. Luke. Again, thank you for joining us here on Mornings with Carmen and helping us apply the mind of Christ to what's happening around the world course. All right. Well, I'm Paul filling in for Carmen. And as we look toward the second hour question for you, do you have a favorite psalm? What's your favorite psalm? I'd love to know your answer to that. 877-933-2484. Remember, Mornings with Carmen, not only on air, but also podcast. You can always follow us on MyFaithRadio.com, the Faith Radio app, or wherever you get your podcast. And have you rated us on some of those podcast platforms? Would you please do that? We'll be back. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.